Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, thrilled to be with you in these late summer days up north and late winter days down south, or whatever days you're listening to this. Today, I'm very, very pleased to share an interview with the wonderful Lindsay Mack. So Lindsay Mack is a queer, intuitive tarot teacher, writer, and the founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul. I met Lindsay in person hmm, five years ago at, you guessed it, Spirit Weavers. I realize I talk about Spirit Weavers a lot. So if you don't know, Spirit Weavers is a gathering of women and non-binary folk in Southern Oregon in June every year to talk about and practice ancestral ways. It's camping. It's really beautiful thing. We just had it this year virtually, which, you know, is better than nothing, but I truly can't wait to get back to that land with my babe and be around such brilliant folks. And Lindsay is one of those brilliant folks. She was teaching tarot and I was lucky enough to experience that. So Lindsay is the creator of Soul Tarot, a radical reinterpretation and intentional utilization of tarot as a healing tool, one that can assist us in differentiating the noise of our brain from the truth of our soul. She is a joyful survivor of childhood abuse, CPTSD, and chronic pain and illness, and she is passionately dedicated to honoring and helping to bring space, light, and healing to those who are experiencing mental, emotional, or physical suffering. Lindsay is also the host of the wildly popular weekly podcast, Tarot for the Wild Soul, which has been downloaded over 4 million times. And she teaches at retreats and has contributed to multiple books and is really a truly respected teacher in the tarot world and beyond. So Lindsay wanted to come on to belonging to chat with me about her recent discoveries in her own ancestral healing process. And I was like, yes, please, let's do it. So before I go any further, I need to give a content warning because Lindsay does mention her experience of physical abuse and violence as a child. So if that's something that you don't really want to hear anything about, consider yourself uh, warned. So in our conversation, we dive deep into this concept of being a joyful survivor of abuse. 
And I was like, tell me about that. So we, we talk about this difference between being happy versus experiencing joy and how unexpected moments of joy can come out of deep grief or even experiences of abuse or violence and um, how we can invite joy to the table along with everything else that comes with life, particularly the shadowy bits. And in that conversation, Lindsay shares a really powerful story about being a child and being abused and feeling her elder self protecting her. And what she's realized now is you can be your child self's caretaker and give them a sense of belonging. You can parent your kid, your own kid, your you kid. I found that part to be really sweet and powerful. And then she talks about the gateway to her own ancestry, which really came through unpacking her own complicity in white supremacy, which is similar to my story as well. The more I dove deep into anti-racism work, the more I realized I didn't feel like I had an identity beyond whiteness and realized, oh, I come from lands and people and all of that. And it's been deeply healing for me and deeply healing for her. And she adds a, de- a secondary layer to this, which I think is so important, which is this also happened when she was cutting off ties from toxic family members and really has had to work with the fact that many of her ancestors are unwell. And how can we connect to ancestry and well ancestors, even if you don't know their names or like when they were alive and how working with the lands our ancestors come from our ancestral lands is a an inroad to that. So that seems really powerful because I know in my own work in Hearthfire, when I encourage folks to dive deeper into ancestral connection, you know, so unfortunately, many of us have unwell ancestors in maybe the line before us or the line before them that can create a feeling of, I don't even want to go there. And so Lindsay shares how she goes there. And talking more about that real sense of how It's important to connect with ancestors so we can understand what they did, what they were experiencing, and how we can make amends and heal and bring the line further than they could. And I'll just never get tired of talking about this because that work is never done, first of all. And it's such deep motivation, particularly in these times, to really go for it, to really look at all of it, to feel the complexity of it, to grieve the grief of it, to feel anger, to feel compassion and sympathy, and to move through it as opposed to deny it, not look at it. Because when we don't really feel into all those feelings, that is when cultural appropriation or bypassing can happen, which continues the harm. She dives deeper into talking about her own pilgrimage to Scotland and her own sort of This is the beauty of ancestral connection work is the threads, the threads that take you there. And she talks about this lake district of Italy and the Celtic deities of Ireland and all just understanding more about the vastness of the lands and the cultures and the spirituality of her ancestors. And I love how she just sort of shares the weaving of that thread because I just keep telling people, there's no one way to do this. That's impossible. Each of us has different privileges. Each, is a, each of us has different access. Each of us has different willingness and curiosity, but the path is always laid out for us. We just have to follow each thread. So Lindsay does a beautiful job of sharing that, which I'm so grateful to her for. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. Let us know what you think. I'll let you listen to my conversation with Lindsay Mack. Shall begin, Lindsay Mack. Welcome to Belonging. I'm just so happy to be connected with you. We've realized we have mm-hmm. so we've been weaving closer and closer together for years, but this is our first real connection together, and I'm just so happy. Me too. I'm delighted. Thank you so much for having me. So you, I don't want to call you the tarot lady, but that just came out of my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Absolutely. That is what you're known for. My first interaction yeah. with you was at Spirit Weavers many years ago when I was at Camp Navarro in California and you were 
teaching a tarot class and it was it was I was like whoa she's so cool and oh. we're here to talk we're here to talk about it not from a perspective of like what is tarot and how does it benefit your life we're here to talk about how your journey uh, with tarot and with your life has mm-hmm. has really impacted a sense of belonging belonging I'm finding the more I engage with it like it's amorphous and it's vast and it's got range and there's so and it means different things to different people so mm-hmm. I'm just excited to journey with you on these topics and I like to begin with asking this question which I've expanded a little bit which is who are your people and or what do you belong to and there's no wrong answers well I can feel a sense of like infinity looping where there's this, there's a vague sense of belonging to some communities that I am a part of as a queer woman, as a trauma survivor. Like I feel there's a sense in in some ways like, ah, these are my folks, you know, obviously Mm. not all, not all queer folks and not all trauma survivors, but there's just a sense of shorthand with, with certain groups of people who, who identify or have gone through certain things. And I do feel a sense of belonging with them somewhat, but the initial answer, the, the immediate thing that came up was this little circle that I feel like surrounds me and allows me to live and work and love in the way I do. And I feel like it is everybody who fits within that framework. You know, it's, it's the beloveds of my life. And I feel like that -hmm. includes my husband and my cat and it includes my nearest and dearest friends of whom there are not many, but they are treasured. And it includes my teacher and it includes my absolutely beloved therapist who's changed and saved my life. And I have what I feel is a very strong container of love around me where I really do feel like I belong. And that allows me to kind of step out into the world with a lot to offer for, you know, with other people. So yeah, there's a little, there's some, there's such loveliness to that question. I was looking forward to that question because <laughs> <laughs> Uh, It's a good one. But in that moment, that was what came forward for me. Sort of a little mix of both of those things. Hmm. Beautiful. I love that you included your therapist. (laughs) Oh, my God. She's everything to me. I love her. She's so great. Mm -hmm. Love her. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned being an abuse survivor. Actually, you Mm -hmm. mentioned in your bio being a joyful abuse survivor. I am. And um, I would love to know more about that, particularly because there's just so much mapping between abuse, particularly childhood abuse, and a sense of never belonging anywhere in adulthood. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know more. Well, you know, I think joy is one of the more I have a lot to say about joy because I think that it exists in, in a nebulous liminal space that is pretty, pretty flexible. And I don't necessarily think you have to be happy to experience joy, even though I'm sure there are many people who would (laughs) disagree with that. What I feel is something about me that has really always been present with me is that I have always had the ability to notice and to grasp the joy in the midst of whatever is going on in my life. Even if the grasp is really weak, even if it's really flickering, it's never a bypassing, but there is, there has always been a both and in me that continues to be there and continues to be a huge part of who I am because my desire to survive what I had been handed was so ferocious that I never wanted to lose touch with it. And that's really the honest truth is like, I knew, I knew what I was being raised in was wrong. And I knew 
even from a really young age that I was being failed. There was an understanding even from a very young age, like this is not Mm. in any way, shape or form, like how other people are being raised. This is very different from other environments, other homes. I'm different than other kids. And I can't really explain how that got there in me because that wasn't taught to me. I have a ferocious, ferocious (laughs) um, desire to be as present for the joys of life as I'm able as possible. And I would say that I have done that. And I'm a severe abuse survivor and have PTSD. And it's a part of who I am and my relationship with PTSD changes all the time and joy gets to come with me into the bottom of the pit and it gets to come with me on top of the mountain and there are times when it feels really close and times when it doesn't but I've always had a connection unfortunately to fear and to sadness and grief and joy was a piece that got I really wanted that to have a place at the table in my life. And I've found that happiness felt a little bit less out of touch. Although I would say that I'm happy most days. Joy felt like as cheesy as this sounds and it is cheesy. There's rainbows in the middle of storms. And that's exactly what it feels like to me. Like where, where is the medicine in that? And it, Again, I don't really know where that came from, but it is definitely has always been a part of my attitude toward life. And it influences a lot of the way I teach, but that sense of belonging, I don't know that I feel like I belong in a lot of spaces. I belong where I belong. The thing that I feel most interested in, probably with regard to that word is that my inner kid feels like she belongs on this planet, that she understands that joy was her birthright and that Hmm. it couldn't get given to her by her caretakers. But now I'm her caretaker and I get to give it to her and I get to give her the freedom to feel like shit when she feels like shit. So I feel like my relationship with the word belonging really starts and ends with my devotion to being a parent to my kid. And sometimes that means I'm holding myself at the age of 15 while my 15 year old self is uncovering something and I'm realizing something. And some of the deepest, most joyful work and paths I've walked have been things that I I don't know that I could bring language to very effectively, but have involved me just being with me at all kinds of different internal stages and ages. Because I feel like if I have that, then I have everything. And it's been proven right to me again and again. Hmm. It's occurring to me listening to you, just this concept of like deep time, spiralic time, ancestral time that- Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So perhaps little girl Lindsay had this knowing that things were not right and that this was not an expression of love because adult mama bear Lindsay was with her. Mm. Well, can I tell you a story? Yes. That I don't know that I've ever told this publicly ever before. Okay. And I'll and I'll leave it up to you to to put in trigger warnings, but <laughs> just trigger yeah, warning sure. for anybody who doesn't want to hear about an experience of physical violence, but one of The deepest examples of how true what you just said to me was is, and and I also want to say that this will not resonate with everybody and that's perfectly fine. I'm just sharing my own experience that I have a memory of being about 15 years old and getting beaten. And part of my, which happened often, and part of my, um, I had many defenses to ward off my own feelings of that and, you know, to defend myself. And one of the kind of rituals was that after it was over, I just sort of marched up to my room like a robot because it was like, well, if I, I can't show emotion, I can't show my mom that she affected me, you know, in any way. 
for some reason that was very important to me at that age. And I used to try to not cry at all, but there were times when it was impossible. And of course, uh, welcome to PTSD. <laughs> I'm now crying a lot of those tears in my adult life, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Again, spiral, spiral never fails us and it's, it's fine. But I do remember one particular time just really dissolving into tears and touching into like, this is so shitty. This is so unfair. This is so painful. It feels so unsafe to be here. And I remember feeling absolutely clearly like there was somebody in the room this will not be forever you have every right to feel how you're feeling you're loved and even though none of this is fair and none of it's right you will understand some of it someday and for years years I assumed that that was my guides And it wasn't until I started to do this kind of internal welcoming work that I realized that it was me talking to me because there have been times where I have said those exact words to myself when old traumas come up where I will kind of cradle myself or hold myself or rock myself or talk to myself. And I realized like, yeah, it's it it was probably guides there with me too, but it was me at now in my 30s talking to little me. And like mm. I know that that's true. I know that that like I'm the one that I heard in that moment at 15 years old. And that there are a couple circumstances where I can remember now looking back being like, wow, I think that was me. <laughs> You know, like, of course it was me, but there's, you know, I hear guides in my ear all day, every day. So I think for just forever, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and I think that they were there, but I know that that was me too. And I think, I mean, I, I'm all about spiral from beginning to end and, you know, um, that sense of, of nonlinear time and that sense of nonlinear living, but I do feel like when I had that realization, it really blew a hole in my mind where I was like that. And I knew I was right. So I think, Mm. I think a lot of people probably have had that experience, but don't necessarily ever think about that, you know, because we're not, we're not, we're not like told that things like that can happen to us, you know? So Mm -hmm. it was pretty power. It was pretty powerful to, to feel into that and to feel how true it was. Wow. Yeah. It was very sudden in my being where I was like, well, that was you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for receiving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also very um, struck by the way you frame joy because I think there's something around being happy that mm-hmm. feels like effort. Yes. <laughs> or <laughs> right? Yes. So hard. And I think particularly for people who feel the close companionship of grief or sadness, it could be perhaps an impossible task. Yeah. Feel that way. And I'm I really just am learning that because I've I've come into grief really in the past like I really feel like I understand, beginning to understand grief in the past like three to five years of my life, just Mm -hmm. with my own experiences. And in experiences of deep grief, having these moments of of ecstatic joy, Mm -hmm. inexplicably, you know, to the Mm -hmm. Western mind. And really, just in the way uh, I can see like birth and death being, you know, two sides of the same portal. I can see grief and joy being two sides of the same portal. And I love how you invited joy to come to the table, knowing that it like it belongs in this mm-hmm. whole like ecosystem that also encompasses grief and a sadness and yeah. all of that. Mm. So beautifully put. Yeah. It really is like, I feel like I learned 
what joy was through my experiences with grief. Like, I feel like it, it gets redefined for you. And yeah, when I think I'm happy, it's like trying to hold a smile and feeling your facial muscles aching. But when I think of joy, it's like, it's a moment. It comes, it goes. And when it arises, it, I think joy is very spiralic and, and, and really does kind of come and go. And when it comes, can we open our arms to it? You know, can it, can it be a both and experience? And yeah, there's a kind of an initiatory quality to joy. There really is. And 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 like a reclaiming because we know joy as children, but we lose it. And then, you know, we, we find our way back to it usually through those huge journeys through the underworld, as you mentioned. Right. Right. To reclaim joy in adulthood. Dare mm. we go there? Dare <laughs> we? <laughs> yeah. The radical and the joy feeling, totally. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really appreciating you centering, presencing yourself being an abuse survivor. Mm-hmm. Because a lot, I'd say a lot of my work in belonging, particularly the past couple of years as I've done my own sort of digging uh, in ancestral ways, in ancestral healing work, in decolonization of my whiteness, like mm-hmm. all of it, I find that people I work with, people I interact with, my community, some of them really feel like they hit a wall because their very near ancestors were unwell. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's abuse, there's a need to create space in order to be safe. There's, and so asking people to dive into a connection with, you know, the threads of their lineage Mm -hmm. can feel frankly terrifying or just like a big fat no, no. Yeah. And I, I know that you have had recent experiences with going there and I, because that's not my experience and I, I can be help. I can help and be like, well, just hop over the problematic ones. And let's, let's go to deep ancestry. Let's talk about blood mm-hmm. lineage. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the more than human world. You know, there's yeah. not, it's not one way to do this work, but I'd love to know yeah. how it's gone for you. I have a lot to say about this and I'm so grateful that you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, so I, Two, am hugely committed as a lifelong practice to unpacking my whiteness, to acknowledging and unpacking my privilege. And with the waking up process to my own complicity in white supremacy and in racism in my own life, there has been a dual homecoming in terms of ancestry that's happened at the same time as that gateway started to occur for me and uh and what a privilege to be like oh i started to work on that (laughs) like that's the epitome of whiteness but like uh similarly for me that and cutting off from my family members some kind of other wormhole opened and i can speak to what was most useful for me and what might be most useful for people who are wanting to engage with ancestral work or ancestral connection, but don't have well ancestors. So I think that there is a divide when you don't have well ancestors where you are calling upon the well ancestors, some of which you know, and some of which you don't. And you're calling upon your own ability to be the one who's here to heal the line. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that there is a duality there that eventually comes into a sense of, of wholeness, but that we're either calling upon the part that needs to be cared for or the caretaker who's here to care. And There is on both sides of my family, enormous lineages of violence and abuse that probably would have kept going with me had I not brought more attention in my 20s to my violent impulses or my impulses to hit or my impulses to drop into enragement, (laughs) you know, rage because that was learned like 
that was how you responded to people. I didn't even know that that was a problem until I got a little older and started to realize like, oh my God, I'm perpetuating the cycles of abuse and unpacking that for all, it felt like I was doing that work, not just for me, but for all of the people in my family who had not done that work and hadn't even seen themselves as abusers. Some of us are here to do that. That's just what it is. It sucks. It's not fair. Some of us are the first ones in the line to do it. Often, if we're children of abuse or if we're survivors of abuse, especially that was familial, that's part of our deal. And I think some people expect to go to the ancestors and hear all this wisdom. And that's true if you're calling upon your well ancestors. And it's also equally true that sometimes in those particular cases, we're doing a little bit of weaving of two different threads together. And I think everybody has their own ways into what those threads are. I don't necessarily know who my well ancestors are, but I've always had, I've learned that this is a bit of an unusual attitude because a lot of my students are very interested in like, who are my guides? What are their names? I have never given a fuck about that. I'm just like, I, I guarantee you most of these beings don't even have names. They'll just give us names because it makes us feel more comfortable. So I've always just kind of been like, I'm really happy to talk to whoever is here and whoever is in my highest and best to be working with. But I have found an inroad to well ancestry through calling upon the lands of my ancestors. And I literally will do that when I'm sitting at my altar, when I'm centering, I will say, I call upon the energy of the lands of my ancestors. And I have enormous privilege to know where some of my ancestors lived. And I also have no idea where some of them lived. It doesn't really matter to me. But I think starting with the land helps me to begin with what is the root of, of what's here? Like what, what were the pathways that these ancestors walked and what was the invitation for them? What do I get to change about this? I think that there can be a lot of medicine that can open up here when we begin to realize that it's not necessarily always about the ancestors teaching us, but us about when we have enough room, enough space, enough of a, of a capacity to hold it, but the ability to begin to look very clearly and to be like, okay, you know, I see the cycles here. I see the cycles of violence. I see, I can't imagine what the choices were at that time. I don't know what they were thinking. I can't imagine that. I can check in with them and ask them and see what answers I might get in some liminal way. But ultimately, I do think, and I don't know if this is true for other folks other than white folks, but I do think for us, it, it does not matter if your ancestors were not great people. Probably they weren't. And the point is that we connect with our ancestry, not necessarily to get some sense of we're going further than they did. We're here to understand where they fell short, where they had fears, where they had worries and concerns so that we can evolve beyond what they were, what they did so that we can make amends for some of the pain and the harm of our bloodline. And it's actually pretty beautiful work and can help them to be free too. But I think it's the attitude, like the expectation, like, I have to love these ancestors. You, you, you can love them for what they tried to do. And you can maybe love them for showing you what you don't want to do. But just the languaging of calling upon your ancestral lands and your well ancestors, you might have two that come to call on you. And maybe you have none. Maybe you have one. Maybe you have 50. It's really beautiful. Some people, you know, they, they don't vet you can vet your ancestors. <laughs> like you don't necessarily have to talk to all of them, but I do think that the attitude changes when we understand like we're here to help bring the line further by seeing 
what has persisted in our line and not letting it go any further with us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, there's there's so much in there that I really appreciate, particularly calling upon the lands because the lands are ancestors too. Oh, yeah. If we can expand into the more than human realms. Mm-hmm. it's Well, it's where the bones of our ancestors are buried. That's right. And they interact with the soil and they feed the soil and the waters and the stones and it's um, – you know, and that fed our ancestors and all the animals. And yeah, I think that's a beautiful tip. Tip does not feel like the right word, but that's yeah, word. a good hack. It's a good hack. A, good, a little, little life hack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that feels important. And um, I really, I really love what you're saying about. Being the rising into this place of the one to help heal the line. And something I, I always try to keep in mind when I really go into a place of like colonizer shame and white guilt and um, frustration. I know my my matrilineal line is is rife with abuse and alcoholism and gambling and and um, mm-hmm. physical abuse. And it, it really seems to have stopped with her my mom. Mm. And um, what's been really helpful for me is to do ancestral constellation work. Mm. Have you ever done that? I've heard of it. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Um, The facilitator I work with is, uh, you might know her from Spirit Weaver's grandmother, Sarah Bicknell. Oh, yeah. I, I know of grandmother Sarah. Absolutely. That's how I know about what you're talking about. Please continue though. I'm familiar her tell. I thought you might be. Yes. Yeah. She, I had her, I had her as a guest on an episode, we'll put it in the show notes um, a while back where she explained it, but it's a, it's a very, it's a somatic experience where you have mm-hmm. a field. And it's a way to work with your ancestors, but not physically work with them. Mm-hmm. So you have, it's better, honestly, when it's strangers step onto the field and embody an ancestor and you as the person with the ancestral constellation, just sit and watch. You have someone stand in for you and you have someone stand in for your grandmother and someone stand in for mm. the land of Italy or whatever it is. Yeah. And I've been doing that like three times a year for the past couple of years. And my mom even did it with me this past February, which was oh. very intense and good. Very good. So she really trusted powerful. the field. Yeah. And it, it went deeper and it was lots of tears and really powerful. So that's, you know, that's one way I'm doing that. And I'm curious, I'm curious how you, are, are you working with the tarot deck to do this work? With no. upon the well ancestors? Yeah. No, not really. No, I, I, it has been a very weird undoing, redoing, like I would say that the, piece that I feel like I need to credit in terms of lineage and inspiration in this area is Julia Inglis, who you may know from Spirit Weavers because she's taught at almost every oh, Spirit Weavers. I love Julia so much. Yeah. I'm looking at my doll. I love yeah, my doll. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Julia's a genius and I'm looking at I'm looking at a doll from her right now, actually on my altar. And she yeah. I do regular swan readings with her, um, swan blessings. Oh, and they beautiful. they've yeah, they've they've truly been some of the more life changing experiences that I've had. And Julia is was one of my first formative examples of somebody who is so powerful and works completely in her lineage. Completely. I'm sure she does her own work with this, but I've worked with Julia very intimately. And she's never engaged with anything that I've ever seen that's been outside of like literally her blood lineage. Like, yeah. And um, she was one of the first white people. And I've loved Julia's work for years where I thought this woman is, I I'm, I'm watching her. I'm observing her. Like I, and she through our swan blessings we also went to scotland earlier this year on a pilgrimage and she's taught me so much just by living the work that like 
You have everything you need. And part of it is that we're, we're showing up to be of service to the ones who could not be. And so there's been, a, I, I, I am not, I don't think as aware sometimes as how much that's come from Julia's example that she really lives that willingness to be in that work and that dedication and that flow. And I think that because there have been like, she never taught me any particular way to do it, but because of these swan blessings and because I had the ability to like, even before I went to Scotland, that was one of the first times I ever left the country actually. And it was pretty life changing, but, um, I just started reading like I, I have every book like there, there's not a whole lot. Like I go so deep. I do not want. And by the way, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this, but I'm Italian. I am Irish. I'm Scottish. And there's some other pieces mixed in there, but that's predominantly my lineage comes from Northern Italy southern Italy, northern, very, very northern Ireland, and um, probably highlands of Scotland, but we all got pulled down as many people did in Scotland to Glasgow. And there there have been these pieces that have illuminated themselves to me. It's never been linear for me. So it's never been tarot, but I'll share like one piece that that just happens sometimes that it's sort of like the, the term dreaming the ancestors in is certainly not one that I I, I, I cannot imagine that I just made that up, but um, I'm sure some people use that term, but that is sort of what happens. Like what started to happen to me is that all of a sudden out of nowhere, about two years ago, I became completely obsessed with where my mother's father's ancestors came from. And they came from a lake called Lake Garda in Italy. And I was completely obsessed. It was like, what grows around Lake Garda? Can I read anything I can about Lake Garda? Nobody has, there's no book that I know of that talks about like the medicine or the symbolism of the Lake region of Italy. If it's out there, please, someone let me know. I wanted to put it together. I was like, what, what grows out there? Have these plants been talking to me forever? I also found it very interesting that of all the lakes in Italy, Lake Garda is the one where mostly people say you can skip it. And I thought, well, how interesting is that? (laughs) That I think that as a person, I've always been somebody who like, I don't grab you immediately. And I'm really great with that. It allows me to go really deep and and kind of be invisible in ways that are are quite nice. But I saw some of myself in that. And I was like, the people who are drawn to Lake Garda will go. And there there's something to that. There's something about like it not it's not a fancy, I'm sure it's exquisite, but there's a lot of like there's a lot of, of discourse about that. Like like you could skip Lake Garda, but go to this lake. I was like, well, that's, there's something in that. And at the same time, like all of these other pieces would start to open up. And then I feel like that came full circle, not just a month ago, because all of a sudden I became totally obsessed with my Irish ancestors. And I was like, I need to know, like down to the square yard where they came from. Like, I've got to figure it out. And so I did, I just Googled and Googled and Googled like a Mars and Scorpio does and eventually happened upon some thread with some people who shared the last name that my father had before it got changed when my grandfather's father came over from Ireland and found out that those people, my ancestors also lived near a lake in Ireland. And that lake has some very strong connections to the Dagda, which is a huge figure in Celtic mythology. And there's an element of that, like, And I could not necessarily language to you why it's important that both sides of my family came from lake, came from water, but it is. There's something really important in there for me. And so because I have threads that are connected to that, it's helping me to connect with them. 
It's helping me to make images. It's helping me to imagine that. How did they get around? How did they work? What did they work with? Like, what were the smells? What were the experiences that they had to offer? Were they cold water people? Did it ever get warm? Like, there, there are a million questions that then come into your mind. And of course, I have probably some of the highest privilege of people living on the planet. There are some people who were completely ripped away from their ancestors and have absolutely no way of imagining or knowing where they came from. And yet I think even subliminally, there are these threads that can be pulled and these threads that can, and the ancestors want to connect with us so fucking badly that I think they'll do anything basically to be like, can I start you out with a flower? <laughs> like, can I get your attention that way? Can we go on a journey together through this flower? And there, there have been all kinds of weird doors. It's, But I don't do anything with my tarot deck. I'm usually just like, I'm pulled in one direction and then a thousand doors open from that direction. And I will buy 10 books and devour them and just learn about whatever that particular thing is. And recently just I'm, I'm teaching myself about the traditional art of seining, which was a Scottish mm-hmm. folk practice with juniper. It's one of the oldest Scottish blessings that I've been playing with this idea of like calling on juniper, Scottish juniper, and it's been very powerful. So there's all kinds of things, um, you know, that, that I just playing, but nothing all together, but it's opening many doors. So you don't need much. You don't, one does not need much to, to open the door. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think so many of us, um, when we hear ancestral connection, we think like ancestry.com genealogy. (laughs) Yeah. You don't, not, no need. And then you're like boring or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're super into it. I'm super into it. But um, wow, you just like perfectly illustrated what I encourage everyone to do, which is like like follow, like I just wrote a chapter about this in my book. It's so gorgeous for me to hear you, to just be like, um, follow those little threads and Mm -hmm. see where they take you. And they will often take you to like, the topography or the element or the plant and that will just, or a food mm-hmm. because those things have survived empire, the rise yes. of empire. Those things are in our bones and body and, and are sung about in the songs still and danced out in the dances. And, mm-hmm. and those are often the threads that we can really pull on. Um, I'm curious what your relationship is with water and lakes. Well, I've always been, strongly, strongly to my core, a water person, like deep, deep, (laughs) like a need, you know, when, when there's, when there's tough times, I go to the water for sure. Always, even when I was living in New York, I think that in some ways I'm learning a little bit about what you're asking about right now, because that's been such an intense message is like, water, 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 water. So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm learning that in a million ways. It's always been the most, the strongest element for me. And in other ways, I feel like I'm feeling into what it is to bond with a lake versus an ocean and to bond with rivers as opposed to, you know, another kind of water. So it's, it's really cool, but I feel like I'm very much still in the gestation of that. Um, I'm in a big state of listening right now, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your honesty with that. Of course. A lot of this, a lot of this work is in, I don't know. Oh yeah. There's so much. I (laughs) don't know. There's so much. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and I want to be really real about something here. I'm not, I'm not here to, on the same thread that I happened upon that was like the find of my lifetime where I found out a little bit more about this lake in in Ireland, there was also a link to an ancestor of mine who was very famously written about because he killed someone with a pitchfork in a battle. 
And that ancestor was, I think, the great, great, great something grandfather of my great, great grandfather, who also allegedly, um, we don't know, he was acquitted, but may or may not have held up a house at gunpoint and robbed people and was for sure an abusive person in other ways. So it, there's, that's the both and I'm talking about where you come to like, Oh my God, like I'm a daughter of water. Like I'm a daughter of lakes. This is a part of my medicine. Like anytime I can even think about what's a lake, what, what's the kind of energy that that brings forward. And I don't have to go to a lake on turtle Island to tune in with that or to take away from anyone else's connection with, with a lake that's indigenous to, to this country that's really theirs. I can appreciate that here, but I can bond with that of my own and I can take it with me. And the sturdier I am in that, the more I can be in that energy. And I can also acknowledge that one of my ancestors was really famous for killing someone with a pitchfork and how that now confirmed for me that there was wild violence on both sides of my line. And I knew it, but the famousness of it was like, wow, it's really powerful. So it's both being cared for and caring for, you know, mm-hmm. the more you, and the more you learn, the more you can learn to hold both of those things. Oh yeah. I think to engage in, I mean, I know to engage in ancestral connection. I mean, we, we have minimum each 6 billion ancestors each. I know it's crazy. Min- minimum. Mm-hmm. And so who've lived through, you know, many, many harrowing times and different versions of society and power structures and Mm -hmm. horrific things and and beautiful things. And to really hold the energies of the, both the oppressor and the oppressed Mm -hmm. is, is a deeply humbling experience. And, you know, it doesn't really resonate with me that it's like my ancestors are telling me to like put on my crown and be a queen, (laughs) which, um, yeah doesn't resonate with me. What I hear them saying is, you know, stand tall and be humble mm-hmm. and recognize what you've come from. And I mean, I learned two summers ago that I'm descended from the presiding judge over the Salem witch trials. Tough. But Whoa. Yeah. Wow. I went on pilgrimage to Maine with my mom and my aunt, and we found the, the slave manifest mm. of my ancestors I found both of those out in the same week. And I was like, Ooh, you know, just, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I swam in the locks of the Hebrides and like drank, you know, the peat filled waters of there and, and laid in the bog and felt, you know, deep beauty and connection to my ancestors who lived there and mm-hmm. helped their neighbors and survived storms. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's the both end in a, in a big way. Yeah. has to be impossible not to be, you know, it has to be because it's the key to, to, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just a repetition of what we've been saying, but it, it helps to root down so much of what, we can potentially unpack and undo in our lifetimes. I mean, because, you know, to the other piece that I, I know I'm certainly not the first person to, to say and is absolutely in no way a negation or a comparison of the trauma and atrocities suffered by those who have been colonized or to in any way bypass my own complicity as a descendant of colonizers. And when I was in Scotland, I, because I, I have, that was my first time on, on land that was connected to my bloodline. There were two really significant things that came forward for me in that. And one of them was that I got a chance because of Julia and because of her connections to have a Gaelic singing lesson with somebody 
And we got to learn, yeah, we got to learn songs by this person in, in Scottish Gaelic. And I didn't know, even though I knew, I didn't understand that that language was beaten out of my ancestors, that they literally could not speak it. And all three of us had, and I, I think that I'm, I'm white. So I'm going to speak, you know, uh, to the white folks listening, like that grief is really very important for us because the less we are in our root, the more we want to take from other people's roots. And that's part of, that's, that's part of the root system of, of appropriation. And there are griefs to be grieved. Like your language was stolen as well. Many of us, and it's never a comparison. There is no comparison (laughs) between like what people of color go through in this country. It is not a comparison, but in your own private work as an ancestor of folks who did colonize again, the both and has to be there, I think. And it's not something you ever have to broadcast and it's not something you ever have to engage your friend who is currently dealing with systems of oppression or inequity in and be like, oh my God, I just realized like this or that. But it's for you to recognize like that you you should have had a birthright to a language that was you weren't allowed to have. And I also remember in Scotland having a number of situations where completely inexplicable wild grief came up that was like, I, I want to come back home here, mm. but I can't, mm. you know, I can't go back home. And again, my privilege is ridiculous. It's enormous. This is not a complaint, but I do think that again, this is, it's a private and I don't mean private as in I'm sharing something private, but the, the, the experience of it is very internally experienced and it's a part of the reclaiming process. And I think it's also a part of why, especially white folks have resistance to connecting with their ancestry. And it, and I think the grief is a huge piece of it that they don't realize that there's so much grief in there that, you know, nobody has to necessarily make amends to them for, but it is something for us to reclaim and hold and heal. And, and until I think we're able to do that, it's not really possible to come full circle with the work. But again, there's so much I still don't know that it's, um, somehow weaving these threads together hopefully that made sense but (laughs) um yeah yes yeah yeah I can't help but feel like a return to what we said at the beginning about grief and joy Mm -hmm. and in the process as also a white woman coming to understand the experience of her ancestors and I that the grief is just such an important process in remembering my indigeneity. Yeah. Ooh, it's beautiful, Becca. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, and it's to be ritualized, a container to be created around it, to be made sacred, to be made to be acknowledged. So it isn't spilling out of us and or stealing mm-hmm. from others to feel, you know, counterfeit home <laughs> feelings yeah. or Exactly. That's like a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. Receding, <laughs> but uh-huh. yeah. I'm I'm so appreciative of you sharing all that you've been uncovering. Thank it's, you. It's a really good way to show folks who are listening and following along uh, how they can do it too, because it can sometimes feel big or inaccessible or intimidating or like, well, easy for you to say. So I really appreciate you sharing all of your perspective. Absolutely. It's been such an honor and a pleasure. Yeah. Just like follow the threads and the myth of needing to know the why of it all is, you know, can be abandoned (laughs) (laughs) the minute the journey starts, you know, (laughs) I, I don't know the why of much of what is happening in my life. Yeah. (laughs) 
Right. The more I know, the less I know. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we sign off, you just have so many beautiful offerings in this world. I'd love for you to share uh, where people can find you and interact with you and, and all that you offer. Thank you for having me. This has been so beautiful. Mm-hmm. People can find me at lindsaymack.com. They can also find me on Instagram at Wild Soul Healing. They can listen to my podcast about soul-centered tarot for life, death, and rebirth processes. And it's called- It's so good. Listen to it. Thanks, friend. Uh, It's called Tarot for the Wild Soul. And yeah, podcast, Instagram, website. Cool. Mm -hmm. And we'll put all of that in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com. So you can- you don't have to furiously write something down if you're in the car or whatever. You can just go there and click on all the things. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank so, you so, so much. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.